The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. And we are very happy to welcome to the Sun and Fun radio stage, Dave, Jack, and Jeb from the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. And now I turn control of the radio station over to the three of you. Thank you, Dave. Be That's very a afraid. scary idea. Thank you, David. Morning, boys. How you doing? Well, we're about to get coffeeed and uh, uh, recovering. Properly caffeinated. So here's what I want to know. Uh, so... You're both wearing jackets here. Yes. What's the deal? Well, this is just a pullover. It's not a full jacket like uh, uh, Mr. Fighter Pilot here right to my right elbow. Um, Dave's wearing his, uh, his it's leather a little, fighter pilot jacket. It's a little cool this Jeb's morning. Jeb's wearing his pullover sweater. and uh, It's brisk. It's breezy. It's chilly. It's Lakeland. It's, and it's, it's not very sunny. It's 70 degrees. It's still gorgeous. Come on. New England, uh, right? We were just talking to somebody from uh, the wilds of Wisconsin, walking around in shorts and short sleeves, and he's going, "Man, I'm sweating." Uh-huh. I, uh huh. It took me it took me about four days or three days, I don't know, a few, couple days, when we came down here earlier this week, for me to get used to not carrying my jacket around, and then I finally kind of broke through to this Florida lifestyle, this mindset, and and stopped carrying my jacket around. And now today it's, well, it's welcome a little to brisk. Florida. It's a little brisk. Yeah. But, uh, you don't like the weather? Wait but it's a few still minutes, beautiful. It'll change. It's still beautiful, Florida. So we were here. Uh, we arrived a little while back at, uh, this morning at the uh, radio station. And uh, in addition to all the thanks we want to give to Dave and his crew, they fed us waffles this morning. Do you yes. have your waffles? Yes. Hot, steamy waffles, like air show food, except really good. Mm, no, no, well, I'm waffles. sorry. I wouldn't even begin to characterize it as air show food. It was great. They make some nice, nice waffles in there. Yes. Well, I'll let you guys know that you are in, in consuming these waffles. You're in very, very good company. This is the same waffle mix used by Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> I see. I don't know. You, you, you think that sells it, huh? That's I, the, thought, I thought. Not I, really, no. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I, I had a, th- you know. I thought I saw a comb over on that waffle maker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess we better make this thing official. I want to welcome everyone to, this is episode number 77 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're recording this episode this morning. Uh, It's Sunday morning, April 13, I believe. April 13, 2008. And uh, we are on location on the grounds of the Sun and Fun 2008 fly-in in in Lakeland, Florida. And, of course, we are... uh, are on the deck of Sun and Fun Radio, uh, being hosted by our friends Dave and, and all of his gang here. So, it's been it's been quite a week. Uh, Jeb, you had to run away and like do real work. I had to, yeah, I had to kind of commute back and forth a couple of times, but uh, um, certainly have seen an, a, a good bit of the show. I've not seen all of it. I don't know that anyone really can ever see all of it. Yeah. And Dave, um, you and, and I was wandering around aimlessly all week, just kind of, you know, as the spirit, you know, you sort of use the force, Luke, kind of thing. You were actually covering the show. It uh, actually did look like work at times, but, you know, we, we, we tried to keep that to a minimum. Oh, uh, well, the nice folks at uh, Kit Plains Magazine uh, were nice enough to uh, task me with doing some color and texture of the, uh, the fly-in here this week to post on their blog. So that's been the... Uh, that's been the target of my labors, and of course, seeing, seeing all the 
the good folks, the old friends, the new friends, the friends I didn't know about until I got here. Uh, now we're sitting on the porch of the Sun and Fun radio station, watching uh, departing traffic off runway 27. And uh, the sky's a little gray, but the noise still sounds great. It's airplane territory. That's right. It's still airplane noise. And uh, uh, we're <clears throat> not very close, if you will, to the runway or to the flight line. But we can still see the planes as they lift off. That's and, right. That's and right. head home uh, from uh, a week at Sun and Fun. It's and a, even though it's, it's relatively day. early on a Sunday morning here, there are a lot of people wandering around in the uh, in the exhibit area here. Uh, we see a lot of early early arrivers, early uh, risers on this Sunday morning. Early and birds. A lot of the exhibits are opening up. I don't know officially what time the exhibits open, but a lot of them are open already. And there are people in the tents uh, exploring various products and various capabilities, things to do with your airplane. So uh, it's early, but it's it's definitely rolling already for this final oh, day absolutely. of Sun and Fun it's, uh, it's 2008. It's starting to pick up and uh, saw a lot of people drifting in when I drifted in and uh, um, seen a lot of people be walk, you know, walking by. The, and we're a little bit off the beaten path here as far as a lot of the main attractions are concerned. Uh, so I, uh, they, should, they should be happy with their attendance today despite the weather. Yeah. I have to tell you, and we're about to get a really, uh, a, a very, very good friend of ours is about to wander up onto the deck here, but I wanted to say that um, I, I've just had a great time here this week. This is only my third time to Sun and Fun, um, and I'm hooked, I'm telling you. I, I've just had a great time this week wandering around, seeing all the stuff, enjoying the weather, uh, talking with the friends. I'm making a lot of great Sun and Fun friends here, and uh, that's a thrill. And uh, joining us in the virtual ra- hangar right now is, is another of our Sun and Fun friends, the... Uh, now, see, I don't have my notes in front of me here. He's, he's the head guy. He's, uh, what is it, the president of Sun and Fun Flying. John Burton's here. Hi, John. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing Thanks fine. Thanks for stopping Thank by. I'm happy to do it. So how's it gone? How's the week been for you folks? It's been a long week. I bet. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I'll tell you, starting out with uh, the challenges that we had early on with uh, the rain, uh, problems parking airplanes, problems parking uh, autos, uh, really challenged the entire team but i think the response was tremendous i think everybody kind of locked arms and pushed forward and i think we overcame a lot of obstacles that were far beyond our control so i'm overall very very pleased yeah it's it's always a challenge to put on an outdoor event and these rain things happen from time to time and uh, just watching throughout the week your people never stopped they just no, kept they improving improving you know and uh um, making the grounds better and better and, you know, reclaiming more and more parking spaces. And uh, so, uh, I, well, like I said, I had a great time this week just as an attendee, so I'm sure I'm, I'm not alone and, in and that. And to kind of give the flavor of this, I, I parked out in a big parking lot this morning. There are still some major mud holes out there. There are still orange cones blocking off the largest ones. And uh, um, I, I, we parked out there on day one also, and I, I joke we were down by Fond du Lac. Uh, where, where we had to park, but uh, uh, you know, I needed the exercise anyway. Walk it up from there, but uh, no, I, you, you and your team did a great job in recovering uh, from those challenges, and uh, obviously, the show's been a success. So our hats are off to you. Yeah, we've had a, uh, I think, a great week. The weather after Sunday and Monday was spectacular. Yeah, perfect is all you could ask uh, for. Just absolutely gorgeous. Matter of fact, the clouds today are kind of disappointing, but. Uh, uh, almost a little bit of a relief because we were having some uh-huh. temperatures in the in the 80s and uh, the uh, humidity was climbing up a little bit. Uh-huh. So uh, this is kind of kind of yeah. nice nice and, way and, to wind and, her down. And, and this overcast is high enough that even uh, the, the VFR departures can get out. So right. there's not a big uh, not going to be a big rush or. Uh, uh, a big hue and cry later today when when all the VFR operators can't get out and have to spend another night. So, 
should not be a big deal anyway. Well, coming out of the campground this morning, got one of those great reminders of the heart and soul of Sun and Fun when the volunteers parade came screaming right. by with the sirens and the blow-up dolls and the goofy costumes and us. <laughs> how many volunteers do you have involved in this this year? Blow-up dolls? Blow-up dolls? Uh, there were a couple of there, and uh, you could tell it was their first time to Sun and Fun and, by and the expression know, on their faces. You, you know who had the, the blow-up dolls was the, the 99s. That was on their golf oh, cart. Really? matter of fact, I saw Dave coming out of the campground. I was one of the guys pressing the siren. It helps. Yeah. But how many volunteers? So we talked a little bit about this when you were on the podcast a few weeks ago, but uh, just tell us again, a lot of volunteers. How, how many? We, we have roughly 3,000 volunteers on our peak days. Like yesterday, we had 3,000 volunteers that are doing everything from uh, picking up trash to parking airplanes. So it's a tremendous volunteer effort. Uh, as we were talking about a minute ago, they, they absolutely rose to the uh, challenge early on and had the durability and the, and the energy to carry it through the entire week. L- last night, I, Dave Shellbetter was telling me, and, and he's telling me about this volunteer parade, and I think he's spinning a tail, you know, just kind of telling me, and he's saying, oh, yeah, and they all get dressed up and they decorate their, their, their uh, golf carts. And I'm going, yeah, right, Dave, sure they do, all right? And, uh, but it's true. And, and, again, being a newcomer to Sun and Fun, I have, just have to tell you, yet another layer to, to the coolness of being down here. That, you know, you had to get up a little early on Sunday morning to see this parade, but... Uh, it was it was kind of joyous, you know, to see all these folks who've been having a great time and visiting their son and fun friends and doing their tasks and putting on the show. And uh, it was a great, great. It it seems like it must be a great, great tradition. Well, it, it kind of speaks to what the event is all about. Yeah, we we need to be safe, but we need to have fun while we're doing it. Uh, it's a, it's a real close family, uh, and the volunteers when they're in the trenches uh, working very very hard, it, it, they get very close to their fellow volunteers. So it's a uh, it's a great opportunity. It's a great way to wind down the, re- the, the week, and it's a bit, little bit of levity, much-needed levity at uh, the end of a, a long week. I'm, I'm tired. I yeah. think everybody's kind of tired that has been here for a while. Uh, the early challenges, uh, you know, when you expend that much energy, it, it, it's a real push to get through the rest of the week. But uh, I'm very proud uh, of how everybody came through. It's been a very safe week. I don't mean to jinx today, but uh, we've been very safe. We've had a couple of... Uh, uh, minor incidents, but nothing uh, nothing major to speak of. So we're we've had a really good week. Is it too early to uh, talk about some of the metrics of this year's show? Well, I think uh, we've been tracking. We, we started out behind just because of the weather and in terms of aircraft arrivals. Uh, there were air, uh, we couldn't park airplanes sure. for a long time. Did you did you physically close the parking areas and and suggest people go somewhere else? The the airport the, the airport was not closed, right. But we were not accepting aircraft on the south side for a number of hours on various days of the week sure. because we didn't have any place to to park aircraft. I heard a lot of uh, uh, pilots who were diverting to Winter Haven or Zephyr Hills or Plant City or uh, Bartow wherever and then uh, uh, either renting a car or trying to get transportation here. Right. But I know that it can be very frustrating when you can't make it to your destination. You've got to make alternate uh, uh, arrangements uh, at, at the last minute, and, and those uh, arrangements there, there, may there or are, may not be there. there. There probably aren't enough rental cars on this side of Florida. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Orlando, really Orlando's like, got them all. Right. It really felt like it started to make up ground from those slower couple of days at the beginning uh, as, as we got past the midpoint uh, it, it began to look like 
we're used to seeing it at that point in the show. Uh, uh, thousands of airplanes on the field. The, the, the walkways were crowded with people. The halls were stuffed. Uh, it was really gratifying to see that people didn't give up on the idea of coming in yeah. there. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Dave. It, it's, uh, for me, it's been unusual to see the large number of airplanes that are still here that late in the week. Right. Yesterday, there were a lot of airplanes that were still on the field. I know we've got a lot of departures going on right now, but uh, usually what, what, what I've seen is uh, the, avi the hardcore aviation enthusiasts get here early, and ideally, weather permitting, uh, they're going to arrive Saturday or Sunday before right. opening day. They're going to stay until Wednesday or Thursday, and then they're going to start, start heading out. Uh, this year, we didn't get arrivals. I mean, the, the, the aircraft uh, parking area was pretty uh, bone dry by, by opening day. And then Wednesday they started coming in as they could, and then Thursday, and the arrivals kept coming in. So I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Well, yesterday was very crowded from, from my perspective. Uh, uh, oh, yesterday was as yeah. close to a perfect day at oh, Sunday yeah, as exactly you can hope right. for. Uh, exactly right. Stone cold, clear, light winds, uh, great day. And the mob along the flight line when the Thunderbirds came out. Yeah. Oh my lands! Yeah, the, it was the interesting thing there. Th that I saw was I, I was up on the uh, air show announcer stand for a minute. Uh, we had Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd came in and, and gave the Pledge of Allegiance, and I I, I met him there to, to thank him for all the resources that they expend on our event. But I was up on the air show announcer stand and looked west, which is where traditionally we've had our air show audience, and that place was packed. And last year was the first time we opened the flight line to all of our guests. So I walked around the backside of the air show announcer stand and then I looked out on the Warbird ramp and it was packed. And yeah. like you said, David, right near the, the Thunderbird hospitality tent and the commemorative Air Force, I had never seen that many people concentrated in that area and further to the east. So it was, uh, it was a big day yesterday. Yes, it was. And no matter how far back you got from the flight line, it was a, it, it was a showstopper. It was a showstopper. You got people in the aisleways who are just parked to watch those 16s go rolling back and forth. And of course, they do a couple of interesting little surprise things for the crowd, like coming in from behind them, that uh, gets people craning their necks, turning their heads around really quick because there they are and there they're gone. Yeah, that's right. So as things start to wind down today, you folks are going to go all go on vacation for six or eight months, right? And, uh, <laughs> I no, wish. No, probably not. Tell us a little bit about what happens here, both in preparation for next year and in the ongoing activities. Well, the, first of all, we're, we're already planning for next year's event here because the people we want to talk to are all here. So we're trying to make preliminary uh, plans for some of the featured attractions, some of the aircraft, people that we'd, we'd like to involve in, in next year's event. Uh, Tomorrow, there's a sense almost of letdown in that uh, if, if you've ever given a really good party and you have a great time that night and then all the guests leave and then you're there doing the dishes and, and kind of picking up yep. the house, that, that's kind of how the, the, the feeling is. First of all, there's a sense of, uh, uh, of loss in that you're saying goodbye to a lot of friends that you don't see other than perhaps this time of year, maybe you see it up at Oshkosh, but it's, you know, a lot of folks that, that you know come in and, and uh, it's great to see them and it's, it's sad when they go home. Yeah. Uh, then it's, uh, I, I think it was Bob Hiley who, who said uh, the next month is putting all the toothpaste back in the tube. And that's kind of what we've got to do is clean up the site. The, the immediate uh, priority is airside where we have to clear all the tents and all the fence and, and all, of, all of any remaining debris 
off of the airport, turn it back over to Lakeland Linda Regional Airport, and then we concentrate more on uh, uh, the non-air site portion of the airport. So uh, for the next month, we're going to be real busy uh, cleaning up, uh, and then uh, it's uh, full steam ahead in, in completing all the planning for next year. But there's plenty of stuff going on here all throughout the year, right? A little bit about that? Absolutely. I think the, the, uh, the, the year-round footprint uh, is best uh, exemplified by the Florida Air Museum, which was recently named the uh, State of Florida's official aviation museum and education center. So that's really uh, the, a sense of permanence there. Uh, what we do during the fly-in, we're trying to expand year-round in terms of the educational activities, uh, the workshops, all of that. We have a, a real neat uh, lecture series called Aviation Adventures. Uh, we have an education program that's offered through the museum that is both for adults, uh, but we're also youth-focused. And uh, we just began a partnership with Polk County School Board, uh, University of South Florida, Polk Community College, Gulf Coast Avionics, and a number of other uh, interested individuals to create uh, the Central Florida Aerospace Academy which is a, a, a career academy type school for sophomores, juniors, and seniors in high school uh, with an opportunity for dual enrollment in some of the universities. A high school graduate could not only get his high school diploma but get an associate degree from Polk Community College and also get your FAA certificate oh, wow. uh, with uh, the avionics program that we're focusing on initially and then we hope to expand the aviation curriculum uh, as we move forward in the years to come so there's a ton of stuff going on year-round and uh, we are really excited about uh, about the future as well you should be and so folks uh, aviator, aviation fans pilots and such that might find themselves at Lakeland could actually come over to the Air Museum and find little elements of sun and fun year around it's not like, uh, wow, if you don't make it in April, there's nothing else to do here. That's exactly right. Now, you may not see as many airplanes and tents uh, <laughs> at other times during the year, but there's always activities going on. The FAA has uh, the uh, National Resource Center here. They're doing uh, aviation safety seminars virtually every weekend. They've got a lot of activities that are going on, and I think we're one of the few, if not only, uh, airport in the United States that has a permanent FAA facility like this one. Uh, that is active like that. So there, there's just a ton of stuff going on. That's and of course, you haven't given any thoughts to next year. So, <laughs> well, David, I'm, we're naming you weather chairperson next year. So <laughs> no, no, oh, no we're pressure there. Uh -oh. <laughs> we, we know you've got better judgment than that. <laughs> well, John, we want to thank you for stopping by. I know even though it's the closing day, you still have a lot of responsibilities and, and tasks that you're involved with. And uh, we really, really appreciate your coming by, and thank you again for being such a great host to us. Absolutely. Uh, to all of us, to the thousands of people who came down to fly in, but uh, to us at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast but Being as well. able to do the podcast yeah. here twice this year has just been a real high point for us, yeah. and meeting some of our fans and finding out that uh, you know the, the, the folks out there do hear the voices in their head is uh, very <laughs> well, gratifying. Thank you for including us in your well, plans. We appreciate uh, all you do, not only on behalf of Sun and Fun, but behalf of uh, aviation on a year-round basis. So thank you for the opportunity. Please uh, plan to come back. We will be back Love next year. You. We will look forward to doing this again. As long Terrific. as there's no, you know, posters at the gate saying, don't let those guys back in. <laughs> That's right. The guy this will be looking at the at the photo spread. No, can't let you guys in. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. You're Call not, us you're number. Not on the, you're not on the dance card. <laughs> thank you, John. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Very much. It. Thanks a lot.
another friend. We actually have a couple of our friends kind of hanging around here right now, but I quickly wanted to, uh, Rick Reynolds from EAA is here. Uh, Rick's actually on a deadline this morning and has got to run away, but uh, I wanted to say hi to him for a few minutes. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Morning, Jack. How are you? So you've been down here. Uh, you guys are spies oh, well, from, the, from the cold north, right? Yes. 30 degrees right now. And Did Oshkosh? it really snow in yeah. Oshkosh? It was yesterday? snowing all week. It's snowing in Oshkosh you go, now. You go look on the, uh, well, I imagine it melts, you know, with the temperatures get up above freezing during the day, but, you know, flurries and horizontal rain. and It's April, man. I know. <laughs> but you, you, you can't see this on internet podcast or radio or anything, but Rick's sitting here in short sleeves and shorts, and he's looking at us all bundled up in jackets. <laughs> we're, going we're starting burr, to shiver. You know. he's, he's, he's asking for the sunscreen, so that just <laughs> tells you how everything is relative. I tell you, you go to the uh, Pioneer webcam, you can see Pioneer Airport, and there's, there's flecks of white on the ground. So it's. <laughs> but enough of that. Well, enough hopefully, of that. you had stop. a good week. Oh, yeah, really good week. Yeah. yeah. What were you up to this week? Well, we were uh, doing something different this week. We had, uh, for the first time, we put out a daily e newsletter, or e hotline newsletter, and uh, it uh, sort of gave me a little bit of a flavor of what we go through up in Oshkosh every year, a but, warm up but without that. the ink and the paper right. and the hard deadline. But right. uh, it was, it was, you know, pretty fun. Had a nice crew down, and mm-hmm. not as good as the crew we have in Oshkosh, yeah. of course. But you still had a good, uh, good product and a, and a good crew. It was great to see uh, all of that crew down here again. That's great. Yeah, it was great. It was a good time. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, a mixed up, muddled up, shook up world when you got to do this, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, you know, we're now we're full full bore for Oshkosh, uh-huh. and uh, I don't know how many days it is, but it's uh, is it uh, April? It's April, so we're looking at uh, May, June, July, three end months. Of July. Yeah, three months. Yeah, the countdown starts. Are, are are you able and or willing to talk about anything new uh, or? Uh, um, uh, scheduled anyway for this year's Oshkosh. Well, uh, we've pretty much uh, got things lining up nicely. We we're talking about having uh, a potential nice lineup of warbirds again, and uh-huh. some very uh-huh. nice. Uh, I don't know if you if you've heard of the Quicksilver P fifty one. Sure, I think that was here and uh, flying yeah. to this year, and that's a very special airplane. Apparently, there's a really good story behind that. And uh, right, right. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, oh, Forrest Gump? Nuts. Sorry, Forrest Gump. Oh, I've heard of Forrest Gump. That's yes, a, absolutely. There's a, remember Let, Lieutenant Dan, Gary Sinise. Oh, okay. He's actually got a band that's. Gonna that's be right. Playing. His band is going to play. That sounds like it's going to be Very a lot of fun. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah the yeah. Lieutenant Dan band they call it. And uh, <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to that. They're uh, the, the, the disabled American veterans, I believe, is the organization that's bringing them in with the Warbirds of America, the okay. EA thing. And it, it's, it's uh, I don't know if you noticed on the website, but there's a site plan that's underway, uh, renovating the site. That, um, I was aware not, that that it's, was underway. It's not going to happen this year, but they're going to announce some of the things okay. they're going to be doing this yeah. year. That sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, but, it, but it, it was a big story talking about how exciting it's going to be, and then you didn't tell us any details about what you were going to do. And, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I want to know, like, new exhibit hangers, new forum buildings, new whatevers, but apparently you're not revealing that information yet. Well, I tell you what, it's uh, Sunday morning, and uh, Saturday night was late, and I'm just a little bit groggy right now, so I'm having a... <laughs> so we can't I'm trip you into giving away secrets, is what you're telling us. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to have to lighten up a little bit. Not um, too many secrets to be given away yet, but uh, I would just say, you know, keep your keep tuned to the website, because uh, yep. 
We're a little bit behind as far as announcing some of the features that are coming in. Yeah. Um, but those will be coming in, well, it's I, still I believe, snowing. fast and furiously. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still snowing up it's, there. It's, you, you, right. got, you got time. It's a mental thing, yeah. Right. yeah. And we're I, about 13, 14 weeks out. That's yeah. plenty of time. Oh, yeah. Well, I know you have to run off. I know you have another obligation this morning, but I appreciate sure. you stopping by for a few minutes. And, you uh, bet. Uh, we're coming your way, so uh, get yeah, be, ready. Be afraid. Right? I wanted to uh, just hand, you guys can fight over it, but that's our DVD of our, uh, oh, cool. it's a really slick uh, production nice. of, uh, it's called nice. the Oshkosh Spirit of Aviation. It's a DVD, and it's also on the website. Uh, we'll fight download. over this later. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, stick that in a TV and uh, enjoy it. Very cool. Thanks, Rick. It's always Thanks. great. Always. Rick Reynolds from EAA staff, our boss on the uh, AirVenture Today newspaper. And we will see you guys up there. Yes, I'm Nick. planning on coming in that direction uh, yes. pretty soon. Yeah. So. You got your room reservations all made up? Oh, yeah. Stuff? Took all care right. of that. Okay. I wasn't coming down here with that done. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, guys. Thanks again, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Safe trip home. While our next friend uh, moves in and has a seat there, I wanted to say hi. We actually have a couple of listeners here, and I wanted to say hi. So I, I won't embarrass you too much, I promise, all right? But you can tell, tell me your name. Hi, I'm Brad Marzari from Stuttgart, Germany. That's great. And so are you here just for sun and fun? Or? We're here on vacation, but we made it a point to spend at least two days down here at sun and fun. So what do you think? Have you been here before? No, this is my first big air show like this. I've done... A lot of the European air shows, which are much more restrictive, and this is the thing I want to emphasize is the fun here and the friendliness. Walking down the Warbird line, having people, you know, let you look at the airplanes, even, you know, touch the airplanes. We got to crawl inside a B-25, uh, as opposed to uh, when you go to Europe, the airplanes are behind a corral, and it's like you can look. That's great. So you think you'll come back again? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a... You know, it's amazing. I was amazed how big it was. So I'm definitely going to come back. I don't know if we'll be able to do a vacation next year. We may shoot Oshkosh next year. I don't know. But this has been a definitely fun, high point of the vacation, and we're just getting started. That's terrific. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Stay in touch. Send us email. We'll go into the forums and let us know what's going on here. Are you anybody else a listener? Are you a listener? What's your name? Uh, my name is David Allen, uh, Melbourne, Florida. Oh, great. Hi, how are you? And, and who's this little girl? This. What's your name? Morgan. Do you like airplanes? Yes. You told me where you're, you told me where you're from. Uh, tell me a little bit about the kind of flying you do. I am not a pilot. You're not a pilot. So what brings you to Sun and Fun? I am the world's biggest aviation enthusi enthusiast who is not a pilot, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who give you a run for your money, but uh, <laughs> what's your impression here? You, you, you enjoy coming? to? Have you been here before? Many times. This is not uh, a new thing for me. Um, Sun and Fun is kind of like my staple. I make sure I, I get here every year. And unfortunately, last year when I came, I missed you guys. You know, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that I was able to work it in with coming to see. Because I'm, I'm a, I'm a long-time listener for, for, of the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace podcast. Love it. Um, I'm, I'm one of the guys that's kind of like the pessimist in terms of aviation's too expensive. And um, when I when I... I just had to have a, an amazing opportunity through the company that I work for because the owner of the company is a huge aviation enthusiast, owns a couple of airplanes, uh, the, the company owns a couple of airplanes, and he's given the employees uh, an opportunity to train in his little 150 for a price that is 
so low, the company is actually subsidizing the difference. That's outstanding. That's terrific. Well, thanks for being a listener. That's great. And I uh, hope you're having fun here at, at the flow. It sounds like you're much more of an expert at this, or, you know, a regular at Sun and Fun than I am. So uh, I'll have to talk to you later on. You tell me what, I sh- what I've missed and uh, check it out. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody? Well, we'll see if there's any other listeners here a little later on. Speaking of it being expensive to fly airplanes, uh, our next friend who's joined us on the deck here, Dave, why don't you say hi for us? Oh, well, it's our old friend, my old uh, hang gliding instructor, ultralight instructor, neighbor, reprobate fellow, Tennessean at one time, Dan Johnson, the chairman of the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association and the the root cause of bydanjohnson.com is joined us up here on the deck. Uh, we're going to review a little bit of some of the stuff that happened in the LSA world this but week. Before he does it, I think uh, uh, your introduction left out something, that because of all of the hang gliding instruction and, and uh, uh, long-time uh, friendship between the two of you, he is the one individual who has to take the greatest responsibility for your having learned how to fly all his and, and made a career out of this. All his fault. Okay. Well, almost all his fault. The person he seems like a very nice guy. Anyway, here this week, yes. and that was my original publishing boss at uh, Glider Rider Magazine many years ago. So, the two lines crossed there. Uh, you know, you can send them the uh, the legal papers. That's right. Dan is Dan is my hero in many ways, and one of which is that you've been leading the nomadic life with your motorhome for a while now. And although I understand you're getting ready to leave that lifestyle behind, is that well? That's a fact. We have enjoyed the heck out of it. It's taken us all over the country: California twice, New England twice, Florida twice. But you know, all good things got to come to an end and lead to the next great thing. Uh huh. So you're what? You're shopping for an airplane. You're going to trade. Airplanes for uh, for motorhomes. Well, and, it could uh, work out that way. You just bit. never know how well, whether these it's a direct unfold. trade or not. But the point is that you're going to get yourself a, a, a new airplane, and it could happen. So and, we'll and, see. Uh, yeah. Have Have you decided where you're going to live permanently yet? Uh, well, we're not leaving Minnesota. That's a summer home. But we're going to join all those snowbirds we've been reading Uh-oh. about for Uh-oh. years. You know, there all those folks got a pretty good idea, I think. And uh, we're going to try and capitalize on it. So we've been doing a little house shopping down here. It's a ripe market for that kind it, of thing, it is. and uh, yeah. we don't mind taking yeah. advantage of it. Uh, forgive me if you've spoke about this already because I was over talking to the listener there for a second, but uh, how's the week been for you? A fantastic week. Uh, we are very appreciative to uh, John Burton and his entire staff for allowing the Light Sport Gang to have a tremendous spot right at the front gate where I hope we've returned the favor by helping people find what they wanted to find on the grounds, not just the Light Sport aircraft that are scattered all over the grounds. I'll come back to that. But if somebody walks in and says they want to find Pilatus, we'll be happy to tell them how to do so. Right. But meanwhile, they've all, 80 or 90 percent, I estimate, uh, walked through that particular gate, have gone right through our LSA mall. So we've delivered a lot of exposure, shiny new airplanes for people to look at, a nice attraction right inside the gate. And I think it's been good all around, but we really want to express appreciation to Sun and Fun Management for helping provide that. And, and there are some very interesting aircraft over there, too. It's, uh, uh, it's uh, just very cool to walk through there and see all the different designs, all the different uh, shapes, colors, uh, variations on a theme. Uh, it's all very exciting. One of the things I was noticing walking around the grounds, and I'd noticed this in, in the recent past as well, and that is that... that all of the well, not all, but but many of the established aircraft manufacturers are getting into the LSA uh, marketplace, uh, introducing either an actual uh, plane ready to purchase or uh, or a concept of some sort. Seems like it kind of 
I'm not sure if the, if the LSA needs to be legitimized, but but uh, you know what I'm getting at here that uh, that Cirrus is showing an LSA and and Vans is showing an, an LSA and and all these. Cessna what do you guys? Got an LSA. Cessna, of course, has a very notable uh, LSA. You know. How do you feel about all these big guys getting in this market, as well as all the little folks that have been doing it? I love it. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of the LSA leading companies right today, before the actual arrival of those uh, storied brands you just mentioned, are saying, welcome, come on in. Yeah. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, one of the top fellows is saying, well, we're, we're happy about Cessna getting in and Cirrus and uh, Vans. Uh, we're not worried about it at all. We just hope they can keep up. <laughs> That's the right answer. That's there's, definitely the right answer. There's been some discussion um, uh, on the net and elsewhere that perhaps some of the LSAs that we're seeing are becoming too complicated aircraft, uh, too expensive panels, too sophisticated, uh, you know, departing from what some people thought was the simpler kind of flying that, that sport aircraft, uh, sport pilot was all about. What, how do you think, what do you feel about that? Well, we definitely have been hearing that, and uh, there's a certain amount of truth to it. Now, there's, there's the big hook, the big reason why that is so, to, uh, to a more significant extent than any other single reason, is the euro-dollar exchange rate, since two-thirds of our aircraft are imported from Europe. And uh, that has accounted for approximately a 40% increase in price to Americans, although it produces no additional profit for the companies over in Europe. Um, so there, there's definitely true that we're, you know, we've got aircraft pushing $130,000, $140,000, and that just didn't seem like where we were headed at first. But we also have models in the mid to low 40000s right. ready-to-fly <laughs> aircraft for that price. So there's a huge range out there, mid-40s to high-130s, that kind of thing. And there's kind of something for everybody still, but we'd like to see those numbers come down, and if the euro ever manages to uh, get close to parity where it once was, even those $130,000 airplanes will only be eighty or 85000 again. Mm -hmm. It's mostly exchange rate, little time value of money, and mostly a lot of equipment, or, and additionally, a lot of equipment going into those airplanes to satisfy the many GA buyers that come out of airplanes with that equipment. So they're used to having autopilots and glass screens and things like that in their GA airplanes, and when some of those choose to uh, go to the LSA route, they look for the same equipment, so they're kind of driving that to some extent. How many how, how many airplanes are LSA compliant now under the ASTM standards? Uh, we just added uh, number seventy six recently, um, and that is from fifty four companies. And I know of at least a dozen more models uh, that will probably pop up on the radar this year. So wow. we continue this. Uh, almost a tsunami wave of new models coming out of the market. There's one for every episode of the UCAP podcast. That's in, <laughs> now that's an interesting parallel. It is, isn't it? Wouldn't claim any cause and effect no, there. Not, no, no, no. In our, in our case, that'd be cause and defect, wouldn't <laughs> it? it there, there's a responsibility there we do not accept. <laughs> One news story that uh, came out this week that, uh, and we were comparing notes. The three of us were comparing notes earlier, and and, and decided we didn't know anything about it. And, and if need be, we'll make something up in a minute. But maybe you know the answer. Um, FAA has clarified some of the sport pilot rules. Are you familiar with that story and what's going on there? I am uh, peripherally peripherally aware of that. That's a tough word. Easy I won't use that again. Today. Sunday morning, we, we'll, we'll let you off the hook. <laughs> let me try a simpler word. I'm somewhat aware of that. Um, actually, what that is, and and you have to divide sport pilot light sport aircraft into those two factions there's the sport pilot certificate side and then there's the lsa aircraft side the latter is more my area of expertise yes. and i leave the uh, certification to faa and people that pursue that more but 
what they have done is clarify a number of things. And they made what has been called a number of house cleaning changes to the rule because there were some areas left to interpretation. And I think they're probably trying to tighten that up. I have not read the NPRM. I think it officially is out on April 15th. But I understand that it's posted to their website. And I've not had a chance to comb through it yet. But uh, as I understand it from uh, a friend, an expert who does that kind of thing, Paul Hamilton, who works for or with ASA on uh, preparing training uh, materials for people going through the sport pilot certificate, he says that it's uh, nothing that should upset anybody doing what they're doing. But for example, one thing that they are doing is going to require an hour of instrument training for aircraft that fly faster than 87 knots, which happens to be 100 miles an hour, and that is a kind of a dividing line between the really simple, slower, light sport aircraft and those with more performance and equipment. Well, there are a lot of aircraft out there, uh, uh, some of them within view of where we're sitting, uh, that are fully capable of the full 120 knots. And uh, they are, uh, you know, very slick uh, glass uh, or... Uh, um, well, plastic, uh, Kevlar, fiberglass, whatever construction, uh, very slick, very good looking. They are definitely traveling machines. Absolutely. And, and as you said earlier, loaded with equipment. Lots of them have dual screen uh, glass, glass cockpit uh, configurations, uh, radio stacks, autopilots, night lighting. Artificial horizons. You know, and they can be used yeah, that way. Yeah. If you are a private or better with a medical and an instrument rating, yes, you can fly a light Knock sport aircraft right, as sure. an instrument aircraft. Now, is that really what was intended for this class of airplane? No. But is there anything wrong with it being used that way by a qualified pilot? No, of course not. Absolutely not. But we still got the simple side of it exactly. for those getting going. And some are slower, uh, easier to fly airplanes, and some are slicker, faster, well, it's, a little it's, more challenging it's airplanes. It's very much a reflection of general aviation at large. Very it, much so. In my mind. I mean, you've got everything in GA from the, the low and slow, uh, great for getting around, boring holes in the sky, to high degree of speed, sophistication, and price. Uh, and you, you can fly any of them on the same ticket. Uh, and LSA seems to reflect that very much. It, at the end of the day, it comes down to what do you want to do with the airplane? Exactly. And, you know, for a lot of people, uh, whether they are moving from a Bonanza 182 whatever into light sport aircraft or those just getting started, for, some, for, for a good portion of those people, the LSA is the destination. They're not intending to go any right. further than that. It'll satisfy their needs. 120 knots, 138 miles an hour. It'll get you around the country uh, better than a 172, almost as good as a 182. They're That's pretty right. capable machines. Most of them with bigger cockpits than the 172 are benchmark at 39 and a half inches. Virtually every LSA on the market is bigger than that. Yeah. So pretty comfortable airplanes, pretty capable in many ways. Jack and I were wandering around yesterday, and uh, we spent a lot of time in the Cessna uh, display and got up close and personal with the uh, 162 Skycatcher, uh, Cessna's forthcoming entry in the LSA sweepstakes. And uh, it, basically, it's a, it's a high-tech, modern Cessna 150. Right, right. Uh, it's, it's metal construction. There's, there's some, uh, some, uh, some composite construction in some of it. But uh, it's uh, just a nice little two-seat, comfortable airplane. It'll probably, I'm sure it will outperform uh, the 150. Wildly so, yeah, yes. Yeah. 
at uh, 300 pounds or so of reduced weight over a standard 150 at about 1,650 pounds. Now you're at 1,320. In this class of airplane, that 300 pound difference makes a huge difference. Basically they both same, had 100 horsepower. I was going to say, basically one's going to go engine, up right. twice as fast as the other. So, big deal to take weight out of an airplane. Something we all know, but you kind of forget it because. Airplanes, uh, like people, sort of gain weight over time. <laughs> and as they get heavier, you don't really notice the incremental loss of performance. But the more stuff you put on an airplane, the more you take away from its ability to leap into the sky. Yeah. That Skycatcher has a really weird stick, though. The control stick is... You know what I'm talking about? It, yes, it, I do. Uh-huh. It's uh, sort of a yoke, sort of a control stick. Yeah, I know. It's like neither nor. Sure Have you gives had a chance you a lot to of fly nice that airplane? Room, Have you had a chance to fly that no, airplane? No, I've been leaning on them. Uh, they're, uh, it's, uh, they're in test pilot phase, right. and only their gurus there get to do that right now. And uh, they, they haven't taken my bait yet that I'll offer them wonderful publicity, <laughs> but uh, I'm not done. Like they need wonderful publicity. Yeah, right. Like they need even more. <laughs> is that stick unique to that particular aircraft? It is, so far as I know. I have seen a couple of European designs not currently in the LSA community that use something similar. So it's not a brand new invention on their part. Uh, but I got in it and wiggled it around at uh, Air Venture last year. And if actually, after a couple of minutes, it feels pretty normal. You know, it's kind of like the side yoke on a Cirrus. Right. When you first look at it, you go, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. And two seconds into flight, you think, oh, no big deal. Yeah, I, mean, I think that'll probably be the case for the Skycatcher as well. Well, the thing that, again, you know, coming back to this theme, it really struck me, though, about uh, the... the um, LSA Mall and, and the LSA aircraft on display here is just the variety. I, I was this just just this morning uh, walking through there, and uh, um, of course I've seen all the all the neat composite shapes and, and uh, uh, aircraft out there also. But here's a here's a, a, a tube and a fabric LSA entry. At uh, I don't recall the the name of it, but it's a small two seat high wing uh, available uh, tricycle gear or tail dragger. Uh, and uh, they want, uh, you know, far less than the asking price of some of these uh, other composite-constructed aircraft. Absolutely. And, uh, definitely a contender in my book if, uh, if I go that way. We have a number of entries. I mentioned a couple in the 40s. There are also several in the uh, uh, $60,000 range. You know, today people say, well... They look at a $130,000 LSA and they say, gee, I can go buy a, a used, and then they insert the name of some GA airplane. Uh, I could buy one of those for substantially less. And, well, yes, you can if you want to look at a 10, 20, 30, 40, 50-year-old airplane, and there's nothing wrong with that at all, but lots of people like new. Right. And if you want new and fresh with the latest stuff, with the latest thinking about how to build airplanes, uh, we've got them in spades. There's every every which configuration and, you could want there. And let's not forget that there are many certificated aircraft out there, both new and old, uh, well, that very much predate the LSA rules that yes. are also LSA compliant. Yeah, EAA's got a wonderful site that I think lists virtually all of those. They list all the LSAs too, but then they have ones that you would call sport pilot compliant that is a sport pilot can fly them even though they retain whatever certification they had in the first place they don't if they can fit the lsa parameters they right. don't become an lsa they are still whatever they were certificated so-called so uh, legacy lsa yes but uh there's just uh there must be uh, 50 or 60 of them on Absolutely. eaa's list and you know some of those you're not going to find very many of but others there's lots of them out there so lots of choices for people if you can't find something you want to fly in the LSA or sport pilot uh, compliant uh, flock of airplanes, you're just not looking very you're hard. You're not hard. You ain't trying. And uh, one of the backbones, one of the reasons why Sun and Fun is here was a, 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 an EAA chapter that 
decided it'd be a great thing to do to have a winter fly-in for all the folks up north that needed to escape the cold. And it quickly grew up around the experimental amateur-built movement that uh, is the backbone of Oshkosh as well. And we had some news here this week that I think eased the worries of a lot of people. The FAA had said they were going to re-examine the 51% rule. And I've talked to some potential buyers, some pilots here and elsewhere that were holding off on making a decision on going forward because they weren't sure. There was a little uncertainty. Some of our listeners may not be intimately familiar with the 51% rule. Well, 51% rule basically says that the uh, builder has to do at least 51% of the work creating the aircraft for it to qualify for experimental amateur build. And even though it's not dead-on required, the FAA created an approved list of aircraft kits and and, and, uh, uh, designs where someone had looked at it and said, yes, at this stage of work, the builder is going to do more than 51%. So this uh, decision by the FAA to re-examine the 51% rule had people wondering whether the old stuff was going to still be eligible. And we learned a few days ago that the FAA intends to grandfather any of the designs already on their uh, uh, circular is a uh, uh, 51% compliant. So it opens the door back up to folks that might have been on the fence. I know it's made a lot of the manufacturers exhale to find <laughs> out that, uh, you know, that design they'd been selling for several years with the quick build options and so forth, it was not suddenly going to be non-compliant and, 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 and throw into doubt whether their builders could get the experimental amateur built certificate for the aircraft uh and again that was that decision by the faa was announced this week that was announced here this week and uh so you know those within the sound of our voices if you were on the edge about this uh over what you'd heard you can step forward and go ahead and look at that design that was already approved as 51 percent compliant dig out the plastic worry about them taking it away yep so, first of all, Dan, how are you doing for time? Are you able to? You can stick yeah, with us for a while. Yeah, you bet. And uh, there is one other aircraft I want to bring to your attention. Uh, well, then whenever please you're ready do, to but I want it. Uh, yesterday, we had our first ever announcement of an LSA diesel. Ah, uh, diesel powered. Yeah. Uh, Tell us about that. It's the uh, Indus Aviation Torpedo. And Indus is one of those kind of odd names that we've got a whole flock of. But in this case, what it stands for is both India and the U.S. The company is owned by an American who originally uh, came to this country from India. And he's got lots of connections there. So he's trying to make that happen. As we hear, China and India and places like that are on the edge of, I think would be a way to say it, exploding with uh, new activities. They're finally starting to allow private airports or or smaller airports anyway, and not just transport aircraft flying. And So there's lots of potential there, and they are working that. And one reason to come out with a diesel-engined aircraft, uh, for, there's a variety of reasons, but one reason is because Jet A is available all around the world, exactly. and 100 low lead is not available all around the world. So by doing this, uh, they get an airplane they can sell anywhere in the world with a, uh, a very interesting sound and burns three gallons an hour or less at 100 knots. Uh, that, that kind of thing gets, they're calling it green technology, and I think partly because it just consumes a little less sure. of the old gold juice. That's a British engine, if I remember correctly, is it not? Yeah, and it's been around 10 years, so this is not a new thing. It's a new installation into this LSA. It's a three-cylinder, two-stroke 
turbocharged, supercharged. I don't know if there's any more adjectives you can throw onto that, but it's got all the goodies in there. And Lightweight, they, small. <laughs> they have shoehorned that thing. You know, all diesel engines look a little brute because right. they've got these high compression ratios, and it's got to be built pretty well to take that. But, uh, man, they have got that inside their regular cowling, and it looks like a very fine installation. It's going to be interesting to see where, where that goes from here. Yeah. And at the moment, that's the only compression ignition engine that meets the ASTM compliance standards. Well, it actually doesn't meet it yet, Dave. They haven't completed their uh, whole SLSA process. Okay. They'll, they'll definitely okay. get it, but it's a, it's a paper chase, just as it, is, as it is with most kinds of certification. So they're working on it, but there is a uh, ASTM. Is, it's not just about airframes and, and uh, you know, how, you, how you're supposed to build an airplane in order for it to receive that certification. There are prop standards. There are engine standards. There's even air park standards, and uh, one of the co- engine standards is compression engine as opposed to a spark engine. And uh, uh, so the diesel definitely can qualify, and this is the first one we've got on the market. Some Everybody's pausing here. As a, looks like an A1 Sky Raider Warbird yep, uh, sure does. De- departs runway uh, 27 here at uh, Oh, nothing like the sound of a big round engine <sighs> marking its territory. <laughs> Dan, we know, obviously, we've, uh, you, that light sport is close to your heart these days, but you've been a pilot and involved with aviation for a long time over a lot of different ground. Uh, so what have you seen here this week? Have you had a chance to look at uh, Sun and Fun as just an airplane fan? You know, I end up being pretty focused on my own little segment of it, as do most people, I suspect. But uh, rolling around the grounds, uh, I, I don't know how attendance or anything else is, but, uh, man, they had huge crowds out here yesterday, and... Uh, it was really interesting to see all these people probably coming out to see Thunderbird exhibition, but they got to see all of our stuff, and they got to see a lot from my area down in LSA to the manufactured area with all those neat airplanes over there. Um, you know, the diversity here, I've been coming to Sun and Fun for, I think it's about 35 years now, and uh, the diversity here always amazes me. Of course, AirVenture Oshkosh is uh, the big daddy of all of them and has most of these same representatives, but man, there is a lot of cool stuff out here. My wallet's just not quite thick enough to afford this activity. <laughs> I know. I, I went a little bit overboard this week. I almost went very overboard. We might talk about that a little bit later, but uh, uh, cooler heads prevailed. That's right. But well, one of the, my old friends who's a regular here saw him earlier in the week. The show wasn't even open yet, and he'd already bought a fresh in the crate, never been used, B-52 ejection seat to take home with him. <laughs> now, that's what everybody's got to have. That's right. I wish yeah. I had Is one Is he married? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> not for much longer, probably. Yeah. You bought a what? <laughs> I, I, you had me worried, dear. I thought maybe you wanted me to fix you up. No, no. I was just kind of, I, I was just thinking of what the wife would say. So, uh, Dan, I'm sorry. No, what, what, what the wife would, you bought a, you're gonna, where are you going to put it? It's gonna gonna put it where the mother-in-law usually sits. Uh-huh, and, uh, uh-huh. Um, so we've teased you. We've teased we've teased you a little bit. We've teased him, Dave, a lot um, about the fact that you were his uh, an early instructor of his. So this is the case, right? Yeah, that is the case. Now, now Dave has told us stories off and on over the over the year and a half on the podcast Shock. about those Shock early days. Mark. But I was hoping maybe you could maybe give us some of the truth about those early days. Uh, well, what was what was Dave like? Take us back and take us back and, and tell us about Dave as a young pilot. 
Well, in those days, both of us were, of course, young Dave and beautiful. Dave is a young anything is an interesting concept, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but we were both it? young and beautiful back in those days, and we could run up and down hills with... Fearless and invincible. Is, isn't there like some FCC law against lying on the air? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, you know, it's, uh, it's just a memory now, but uh, I recall it as young and beautiful. Okay. And I'm All sticking right. with that story. All right. That's right. There you go. <laughs> so you were running a, a flight operation, a flight school? What was, that, what was that like? I was. I was in the hang gliding business at that time. I had started out in conventional aviation doing flying Cessnas as a flight instructor and did that for a while. And along came hang gliding. I was, uh, you know, a young, broke flight instructor like many of them are at that point. And uh, hang gliding looked like an inexpensive way to get in the air. And I was drawn by one phrase that still sticks in my mind. I read somewhere that flights of an hour were not uncommon. And I went, wow, on no energy? That's a pretty cool thing. I hadn't flown sailplanes either at that time, but uh, I was drawn to it magnetically, and uh, that went through its whole explosion of activity, uh, and then followed by ultralights and now LSA. So to me, it's just sort of moving along with the wave. But in those days, uh, you, you sort of uh, took a hang glider up the top of a mountain, and you sort of slid into the valley. We didn't really know much about soaring then, so I ran a hang gliding site that had an actual tramway where we could load hang gliders onto the bottom of a tram car, transport pilots like Dave and others up to the top of a hill, and let them slide down to the valley over and over and over. And it's Raccoon really a good Mountain. learning me method. Raccoon yeah. Mountain, a crystal flight park. That's right. We were, uh, we were kind of an early uh, uh, supplier to that activity. Today it's developed a lot. There's one right down here in Florida called Wallaby Ranch, just south of the Disney complex where they tow hang gliders up by ultralights. And they do that all day long on, on, you know, on good days with weather anyway and have a great time. It's a really iconic place. And so the activity continues. But back when uh, we were doing that and uh, along came this uh, uh, interesting character uh, named Dave Higdon, whom I met. And okay, this is the part I want to hear about. He, said, ahead, he yeah, all right. said he wanted to learn how to fly. And, uh, you know, we were willing to take a few of his dollars. It wasn't many back in those days. I think a lesson was 35 bucks or 35 something. 35 bucks a day. That's yeah, right. So wow. it was pretty cheap. A day? And, uh, a day. 35 bucks a day, uh, you carried the glider up the hill. They put you in paratrooper boots and knee pads. They had wheels on the base tube. You ran like a crazy man down the hill. You got in the air for about 7, 10 seconds. If that, yeah. Tried to keep it level, tried to keep the nose off the ground. And the instructor went, well, that's really great. Let's take it up a little higher. And you'd carry the glider higher up the hill. Now, this was Tennessee in July. So we only instructed, they only instructed from 7 in the morning until 1. After carrying the glider up and running down and carrying it up and running down for about six hours, that was pretty much the end of your energy for right, the day. Right, You were worn out by then. When I used to go to work in the morning, I'd take, put on a fresh T-shirt and grab two more to go for the day. And before <laughs> the end of the day, I'd worn and soaked them all, helping guys like Dave up and down the mountain and whatnot. And uh, it was an exciting and interesting time. Hang gliding at that time was kind of like LSA today. Every six months, there was a whole new flock of uh, gliders that would come out, their performance was ratcheting up every six months or so. What was the new hot thing six months ago became the old antiquated toss-it-away aircraft. Uh, and in those days, at those prices, you could almost toss them away. But uh, uh, it was a really fascinating time, and, and people just uh, flocked to it. And we had an interesting location that, kind of like Sun and Fun offers a respite from the north, Chattanooga, Tennessee, where this all occurred, 
is about the furthest spot south in the eastern U.S. where there are still mountainous terrain. Right. So people would come south, lots of Canadians all over the east coast would come south for the winter, just like we all come to Sun and Fun. And uh, here was this guy named Dave Higdon among that group. And uh, so we had a lot of fun back in those days. Oh, we had a great time. They gave me lessons for six days. At the end of the sixth day, I bought a harness, helmet, went back home to Indiana. There was a hang glider dealer for Seagull across the river in Louisville, bought a Seahawk, started flying it off little bunny hills, flood walls, and cliffs there. And then every six or eight weeks, it was back to Chattanooga to fly Raccoon or Lookout Mountain, uh, then eventually over to uh, the Sequatchie Valley, the sites at uh, Dunlop and Dunlap. And what was the other one on the other side of the valley? Uh, Whitwell. Whitwell, right. And it's an interesting, uh, there's a little interesting geography there that allows mountain ridges to run 20, 30, 40 miles in relatively straight lines facing into the northwest prevailing winds that in the days before we learned how to do circles and thermaling, uh, we'd jump off in the right kind of conditions, and uh, you could soar up and down those mountains for hours in ridge lift, which was, it's just a baby's ladder. I mean, you just yeah. put the glider on the right place, and up you went thousands of feet into the air. What, what sort of people were getting involved with hang gliding at that time? Uh, was it, was uh, boy, it, it was know, across the board every, demographic, uh, or was it a particular sort? No, it really cut across. Yeah. We had doctors and lawyers, and we had young guys that had no jobs, and we had everything in between. There were work programs to accommodate the, uh, the ones with no money, and the ones that did have money would throw parties for the rest of us that were still trying to rub our quarters together. And About three-quarters of a mile from Dan's operation was the Crystal Air Sports Motel. With a bunkhouse, huh. and right. if you signed on to do Just a keep minimal, in mind, we're on the radio here. So, <laughs> if, if you signed on to do a minimal amount of work around the motel, uh-huh. then you could stay in the bunkhouse for just a few bucks a day. Okay, that sounds so great. So these guys were signing up. They're moving into the bunkhouse. They're getting their chores done. Oop! Afternoon comes, getting bumpy, getting thermally. The the winds hitting the ridge. Bye, and off they went. Mm-hmm. Well, I had one of the interesting jobs there. Because we just went into work every day, did our job, teaching people how to fly, buying and selling gliders and equipment and all the rest of that. We really didn't pay much attention to the weather, and that sounds ironic, but we had all these out-of-towners that would come in and just, in those days, of course, pre-XM radio, pre-internet, pre-almost everything we take for granted today. But they would get to know what the weather was doing. And when all the out-of-towners, which was what most of them were, that was a big mecca for hang gliding at that time, still is quite a bit actually, But when they would all start to just get all excited about the soaring conditions, those of us who worked in the trade would try to quietly get our work tidied up and put away and then go grab our gliders. And off we would go to whatever site was uh, the hot one that day. I I remember very little of that scene, but I do remember the the hang glider phenomenon coming on. Uh, Being being a powered pilot, I kind of, you know, looked down my nose a little bit at these guys and, and uh, perhaps shouldn't have. But my, I guess what I'm getting around to is, is there any kind of a museum or, or historical record? The Hang Gliding the air- Hall of Fame. Right? Yeah. Uh, is there such Some a of thing? the aircraft uh, that were used back then, the designs, the, the uh, equipment, the training, the people, the scene. Is there any kind of a historical record of any of that? 
Unfortunately, there is not much. Uh, one individual named Ken DeRussi uh, worked with the Seattle Museum of Flight, I believe is the proper name of that. Uh, they've got, of course, they're up in the Seattle area, which has its own whole rich history of aviation. Sure. And he put together a fairly extensive display. What I'm not sure about is if that's a permanent display or not. <laughs> I believe some portions of it remain, and, and they did kind of a, uh, for a few months, they had a big display, and then they narrowed it down to a a few of the more interesting okay. things. So there is that, and, and they're kind of tucked here and there. But no, it's uh, we've talked about it many times that there needs to be such a yeah, thing. There, there's a lot of written history, but the physical aircraft, uh, and they went through this fantastic oh. metamorphosis. Uh, but, you know, going back to being a power pilot, that's what I was too. And you look at guys going to the edge of a cliff with a hang glider, and you do wonder if they've got their head screwed on straight. But... <laughs> You know, after you've taken a hang glider or a sailplane into the air, knowing right. that you've got one landing coming up, right. one landing approach, and after you do that over and over and over and get that down, I think it makes a much better power plane well, pilot. I, I, I do, I too, do too, and yes. uh, uh, it, it does tend to focus the mind. Uh. You, you, know, you know, people go, well, what do you do if... If you, if you blow your landing approach, well, you just don't. You start That's paying right. attention. You don't let it get away from yeah. you. And, you know, I mean, it's done repeatedly around the country, sailplanes and hang gliders, around the world, for that matter. And That's that beautiful DC-3 taking off. That's right. There. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice yeah. big old DC-3. I still remember talking to a young man once who uh, says, have, have you ever had to do an engine out landing? <laughs> Every landing is an engine out landing. So, well, coming from hang gliding where you get one mandatory touchdown for every free takeoff, only about 18 or 1,900 power-off landings just in the hang gliders. And that's not even getting into some of the things that happened with some of the early ultralight engines that, for, for, for which all that hang gliding dead stick landing preparation turned out to be really useful back in those days. Amen, amen. I'm a better power plane pilot today because sure. of all that unpowered experience. I don't. I, I fly around like many people who flew ultralights. I've constantly got my eye open for uh, for a landing spot. I even do that when I'm sitting in the back of an airliner. Although I probably don't have much control over that, but uh, you know, it's a good thing to do. Constantly keep a landing field in sight. Never a bad technique. I don't care what you're flying. That's right. And my primary flight instructor, when I finally went to get a a, a regular pilot's license. Uh, he kept saying, you know, you could fly your downwinds a little farther from the runway. And I was going, why? I can make that runway <laughs> if right. the engine yeah, quits. Absolutely. I always wonder about those guys with those long, straight-in approaches. Yeah, I guess it can make you feel like a corporate biz jet jockey or something like that. But on uh, all the instruction I did, I was constantly telling students, get closer to the runway. That thing's your friend down there. Don't abandon it. There's always a way to get it down. Yeah. Uh, but stretching a glide, well, that's one of aviation's great fallacies. Gravity is one of those immutable, it's a law, isn't it? unassailable laws that says you will be on the ground soon right. if, the, if the power goes away. We get to break it for a little while, as long as the engine runs or the altitude's there. But And we know why the propeller's out in front. That's to keep the pilot cool, because right. all you have to do is let the propeller stop and watch him sweat. It works pretty well <laughs> from the back, too, though, that same way. Uh, yeah, it does, kind of. <laughs> well, Interesting how that works. Dan, we really appreciate you all every time you join us in the virtual hangar. And, and if you can stick around, please do. I will. Um, tell us uh, where on the web we can learn more about the Light Sport Aircraft Association and uh, other you know, things revolving around LSA. 
Well, there are a number of good sites. I mean, I'm uh, not above a gratuitous plug for my own, by bydanjohnson.com, and I try and stay on top of it as much as anyone. Lots but, and uh, lots of great information there. Thank you very much. It's uh, It's been real popular. We've got uh, lots of free things on there, and if you want to actually have a pilot report that might help you make a purchase decision, uh, you do have to pay a couple of bucks for that. But there's lots and lots of free stuff, and you can roam around, look at... Uh, more than a thousand articles and tens of thousands of photographs, all in this one segment. It's, it's, a, it's a great resource. I've been through there. Thank and, you. And, uh, you, and there are some, the Manufacturers Association have a website. Yes, uh, Lama, uh, the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association. So it's L A M A, and it's just dot B Z, not B I Z, but B Z, okay. standing for business, I guess. But anyway, Lama dot B Z. That uh, that site's got a list of all the producers on it and some other useful information. EAA also does a wonderful job. They've got a lot of good stuff on their sportpilot.org website, including that list we talked about earlier about uh, conventionally certified aircraft that are available for sport pilots to fly and, and lots of other articles. And that, I would say, if, if, you were, if you were wondering about the sport pilot certificate, that would be one of the best places to go. There's some others of us that compete pretty well for the aircraft side of it, but EAA's got that pilot side of it nailed down. And also the uh, folks at ASA, they have really been behind this thing. And Paul Hamilton, the name I mentioned earlier, has adventureproductions.com. And he's got a lot of information. It's in the training side of things. But, you know, when you start looking around, just as with magazines, no one source has got it all. But on my site, there's links to all those places. So it might be a good place to start. And there's lots of interesting stuff. Thank God for the Internet. Well, that's how the mailman knows that you're a pilot. It's by the weight of the bag that he drops off at your house a couple of times a that's month right. with the 8, 9, 10 aviation magazines. That you, you tell the significant other, no, I need all of those. <laughs> that's right. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the things we've seen here, here this week, things that have been going on. Jeb, I know that you're continuing your search, your ongoing search for a, uh, a paperless solution for your, your uh, instrument Pursuit that's, that's of the perfect EFB. Well, I don't know about the perfect EFB, but something that's simple, reliable, uh, easy to use, easy to read in the cockpit. And you seem to find something that was interesting yesterday. What was that? Well, we were, we were Jack and I were bouncing around one of the hangars and uh, uh, kind of craning my head looking at everything. And uh, uh, we talked to the people, at, I believe it's Voyager Software. They have uh, um, some, some high-end flight planning, uh, moving map software. Uh, a lot of different uh, hardware and software solutions. And um, got to talking with uh, one of the people there in the booth, and I said, look, what I want is a box, a uh, uh, EFB, a, uh, a, t a tablet PC, on which I can get all of the approach plates. So, you know, she, she says 50 states. I said, every approach plate in the country I want to be able to retrieve it in real time. I want to be able to pull it up, zoom in, zoom out, scroll around if I need to to get the information off of it. I'm tired of carrying all this paper around the cockpit. I'm tired of cutting down all these trees. And I'm tired of having to update, you know, uh, climb in the airplane, roam around the airplane, grab up all the approach plates. of, uh, Make all those revisions. Make changes. all those revisions and all of that kind of thing. There, there's got to be an electronic solution to some of this. And, uh, well, they do have one. Um, I'm still researching the hardware a little bit. Um, I'm st I want to learn a little bit more about the software. Um, but uh, there, there does seem to be a reasonable solution out there finally. 
there does seem to be a, a, a reasonably priced solution, perhaps more importantly. But Jack and I were kind of putting our heads together a little bit yesterday, and you know, all of that, this data. That's a weird thing to see, that's, folks. That's that's <laughs> it's it's frightening. It's you know, not for the faint of heart. Uh, but uh, putting our heads together a little bit yesterday, and of course we uh, we can get all of this data, all of the approach plates, basically for free from the FAA's website. Uh, we can download them, we can manipulate them, we can do all kinds of things. What the world really needs is a freeware or shareware front end to run on an on a IBM Windows machine or a Macintosh machine uh, that will you know, allow us to sort through these and bring up the plates we want and, and uh, just pop them right up on the screen, whether it's a, uh, a laptop computer or uh, uh, a... a um, tablet type computer that we can use in the cockpit and we're you know kind of putting our heads together if any of our listeners out there would want to you know tackle that little programming task uh, we'd like to certainly like to chat with you about it and, and we'd be happy to test it out for them be I'm happy to test it out yes absolutely we've seen some new things like on-demand oxygen systems for certificated aircraft right. here uh synthetic vision systems that are starting to show that's, up in ga aircraft that's kind of a hot lick here this year is Chil- chelton had it a long time ago, uh, and it and and there's the gap has been closing. The technology's been spreading. The price is coming down. We're even seeing enhanced vision systems now that can be installed on light aircraft like Cessnas and Malls and Pipers for uh, considering that it costs about three hundred thousand plus to put it on a Gulfstream. You can do this for ten to twenty thousand on a light GA aircraft. See in the dark. See through smoke. See through fog see your way to the landing field in some really heinous conditions. Uh, it's just been an extremely dynamic and busy week here, and it's a, it's a pity we just can't hit it all in the time allotted. Yeah. I Just kind of quickly going over some other things that I've seen here. That One thing that's, that's a little different from the other big fly-in up north uh, is Choppertown. Choppertown here is kind of cool. It's a, it's a standalone uh, area dedicated to rotorcraft, and uh, some cool stuff going on over oh, there. Oh, we had a great time over there a couple of evenings ago. We saw a couple of new gyro planes fly, a couple of auto gyros fly, uh, a couple of ultralight legal single-seat helicopters, one of them on floats, a uh, turbine-powered kit helicopter with a lot of power and a lot of maneuverability, uh, and then some of the old standbys that we're used to, we're used to seeing, Bells and Hueys, and uh, it's off by itself at the far east end of the showgrounds. It's a little bit of a hike to get there, but they do run trams. And it's unfortunate that more people don't go down there because those folks put on a really nice show every yeah. morning and every evening, just like the folks over in Paradise City. Yeah. it was. There was a cool moment. We were up there uh, towards the end of the Daily Air Show, and so you know, as the air show wraps up, and they suddenly the time comes that they allow these uh, helicopters to fly. And so... You know, all this pent up wanting to go flying, you know, stuff is happening. And at the appointed moment, about 10 or 12 helicopters of varying sizes all started spinning their rotors at the same time, you know, anticipating the fact they were going to let, they're going to let them fly. And it was like, it was a scene out of Apocalypse Now. Right. I was ready for right. Ride of the Valkyrie to start playing <laughs> at any moment. All these helicopters, the rotor blades are spinning, they're all getting and ready to take off. I love the and, uh, smell of Jet A in the evening. <laughs> that's right. So uh, that's a great area. And uh, if you haven't explored it, because it is a little off the beaten path. But they um, do offer, a, if you go over 
over to the transportation there is a tram. tent. Right There's inside the main gate there. They'll, they'll run you down there pretty yep, quick. Absolutely. And it's not a bad walk because you're walking up along all the aircraft camping, so you get to check out a lot of airplanes along the way. Oh, you got airplanes on the left and airplanes on the right and airplanes behind and airplanes in front of you and airplanes taking off. And, yeah, it's yeah. at airheads heaven. Right. Yeah, I I'm going I'm to interrupt for a second. The trams not only go from the main transportation tent, but there are shuttle stops all over the site. That's right. That's and right. they have the great... the, the Ben Sclair and the folks at Southern Aviator put on the Sun and Fun Today newspaper, and they got the info guides and the programs and everything to get all your information out of right. that. Uh, unfortunately, by the time you all hear this on the Uncontrolled Airspace website, it'll be too late for you to come this year. But in about 11 months, replay 76 and 77 to remind you what you want to go looking for in 2009. Exactly. And we're live on the radio, so some people are listening to us, and they're going to wander over Those people today. are already here. The reason I quickly wanted to mention the, the the reason we were up there at Choppertown the other afternoon was we were with our friend uh, Amy Loboda who was getting ready to get a ride in a in an auto gyro. Um, uh, I wanted just to mention that Amy was in town. Uh, a, James of Winbrand, of course, joined us on the podcast last Tuesday. Amy certainly would have joined us, but her travel schedule was such that she wasn't here in town on the two days we were doing podcasts. But and she'll be on the podcast, I believe, later and, this week yeah. when we do another well, we one. We want to congratulate Amy and her husband, Barry, on the uh, completion and the beginning of the flight test program for their RV-10. Uh, you know, it's just moving that project from the initial phase of the adventure to the really fun phase of yeah. it so uh, I, we hope I had that the all goes well for them i had the opportunity to see that project a month or two ago uh, in their hangars they were putting the finishing touches on it and uh, it's a very good looking aircraft i wish them a lot of luck with yeah. it and uh, he's going to give us a report Amy's yeah. going to give us a report. We're going to we're going to record another episode later this week. You knew that, Very right? Cool. And, and uh, we're going to record an episode later this week, and Amy's going to join us and uh, I'm, give I'm us a slow, report. I'm slow, but on, I catch uh, on quick on on that aircraft. So you know, this is the only time in the history of this podcast that what I'm about to say is true. But we really are reaching the end of our allotted time here. <laughs> <laughs> we really have an allotment, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, Dave, you got to run off and catch your airplane, right? And uh, yeah, yeah going to motor over to the north side of the field. Uh, unload the rental car, load the airplane, saddle up, and see if we can't find our way through some of the uh, conditions that uh, are between Lakeland and Wichita, and what we'll we, pass what some of these guys that are getting can, out ahead of us. We'll even catch them up around for the, for the, we'll catch them up around the Seminole out. VOR and yeah. wave as we go by. That's right. Uh, Jeb and I are going to hang out for about another hour or so right. and do a little bit more A couple last-minute errands, maybe. And... Uh, and then we're going to head on down south by car to catch my flight back to. Uh, hopefully, I have a flight back to New England. Is uh, I understand it's been a cra- it's been a it's been a wild world in the airline uh, industry. It will be the last couple. colder up there than it will be down here. And it here. will be colder up there. So, anyways, uh, any shout outs before we wrap this thing up? Any, anyone you want to say Just hi to? To the or? entire Sun and Fun staff, to Dave Schalbetter for his hospitality uh, both uh, during the day and in the evenings. Uh, to uh, uh, Bonnie, thank you. Um, to all of our guests, uh, to to uh, John Burton and his staff, uh, DJ Rick yeah. Reynolds, the yeah. folks in the media center, all the volunteers over there that go out of their way to make the working reporters that are here and photographers exactly. that are here productive and and, and uh, ease our lives a little bit. Well, and let Thanks me throw a thank you back to you guys for doing something interesting and in a different way, and it's a lot of fun being up here with you. Well, thank That's you, right. DJ. Thanks, DJ. Thank you. So you can. 
again, thank you to all the folks who joined us here. John Burton from uh, Sun and Fun. Learn more about uh, all of his activities, of course, sun-n-fun.org. Uh, Rick Reynolds at eaa.org. Uh, Dan Johnson at uh, buydanjohnson.com and the, uh, L- the uh, Lama site as well. I, I just want to reiterate uh, what they just said. Thanks. Uh, just a huge thanks to Dave Shellbetter uh, from Sun and Fun Radio and to all of his gang. And I don't know everyone's names, and I apologize for that, but I do know Terry, Bonnie, and Jim, who have been particularly helpful and friendly to us uh, this week, and we really, really appreciate that. But to the entire Sun and Fun Radio gang, thank you very, very, very much. Uh, if you want to learn more about the rest of us, let's see now. Uh, uh, before you go into that, yeah. before you go into that, um, Sun and Fun Radio was was really blessed to have a new volunteer this year, um, and and it gives me you know somebody came by and said, well, I'm here and we're doing a couple things during the week, but you know. I've, you need you need a hand. I'm I'm pretty good with computers and stuff, and I, well, you know, editing software. Well, yeah, yeah. So it gives me really, really great pleasure to prevent, pre- to present, <laughs> prevent. Prevent might be a better word. Yeah. <laughs> Prevention is always called for, but yeah. Okay. To present your very first coveted Sun and Fun volunteer patch. Oh, thank you. To Jack Hodge and Jack, thank Woo-hoo. you so much. You saved our bacon this year. All right. Hey, I'm hoping you're going to come back. That's going to be the first one. That's right. That's going to be. be starting stringing down the sleeve I'm like those of you. us that have been here for, I've had a, for two I've or had three. I've had a blast here this week. I enjoyed meeting all your folks and, and working and pitching in and helping out and uh, I'm glad I could do it. And this is very cool. Thank you. And there's it's no a, Jack H like our Jack Sun H. Sun and Fun patch That's here. Right. It says Sun and Fun with a big smiling sun uh, and uh, 2008 He's volunteer. He's going to hurt you. That's great. I'm going to add that to my collection. I'm getting a head start. So uh, that's it for today. Uh, We really appreciate being here. And let's see now. So I want to thank everyone for joining us in the virtual hangar. And we'll talk to you all again next time. So long, shiny side, safe trip home, dog. TTFN.